0: our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories by outstanding content.
1: Good morning, Amy. Hi Fab, how are you doing? I am
0: great and I love pretending women talked for the last hour and forty minutes.
1: <laughs> it's been long, it's been long, but very, very excited about this upcoming episode.
0: Yay! Awesome. I'm excited too. That's that's, that's me. I'm bringing I'm it back in, um, but today's going to be a good one. Not that we're never giving you a good one anyway, have we? Um, but it's going to be a good one because we're going to talk to the lovely Pixie, and I am really excited because we don't just talk about uh, wellness, we don't just talk about health, and obviously understanding and discerning information online. We also talk about why we do what we do on social media and how we can have a better relationship with the online world. And um, I think it's something very important to think about. And, and I know that as the chief social media gal of Creative Impact you and everything else you do, you probably have a lot to say about that. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask you, Ames, on light what we're going to talk about in this episode. How do you find that balance for yourself having to juggle definitely two accounts, and to all different things being very active anyway because that's a big part of what you do is there any tips any any things that you can think of when it comes to finding the balance or creating those boundaries
1: i think there is so much to say about that and everyone will have something that works for them um something i've done probably for the last like two years is having all notifications switched off my phone is in flight mode no not flight mode but silent mode like do not disturb mode pretty much all the time um which definitely means that even though we are drawn to our phones so much but it just means that it's not pinging at you all the time um and I try to switch off my phone at like 9 p.m every night and have like a good half hour hour or so just completely without any social media without any technology um and I think that really helps um I'm not the best at switching off from it though to be honest a lot of people have like offline weekends or kind of a day off here and there but I recently did go away for a few days and took the pressure off myself to post and was like no I'll go on I'll do some stories but kind of telling yourself that it's okay not to be online all the time and really you won't miss anything like you think you will but you will survive and you will be fine (laughs)
0: I think that's the biggest thing as well. It's just that once you accept it for yourself and you see that you survived and you see that everything was fine, you just kind of remind yourself that it's is actually good because you can go come back to it refreshed as well. And I think that's a big, big thing. Um, thank yeah. you for sharing that. And I love that. And I think it's such an important part of finding that balance and whatever, as you say, works for you, find that little practice. And then we can always get better if you want to put it that way, but it's good to be able to create that practice. So Thank you. I love that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And before I introduce you to Pixie, I also want to say one more celebration today, if you're listening when we're live, out, uh, is that today is the last day to vote for the 2020 Creative Impact Awards as well. So, really excited. Pixie is actually in one of our categories, but there's 80 show listed. So, there's plenty of people to vote for. So, I would still recommend going to creativeimpact.group slash awards if you want to check them out and cast your vote. This is the last day. So if you're listening at the time that we're out, definitely go and check it out. But before that, thank you, Ames, again, for your pearls of wisdom. i um, really excited to get on with Pixie. Pixie is a registered nutritionist and qualified ACT therapist. She specializes in intuitive eating, disordered eating, and body image. And she is also the author of three books. Her work is focused on nutrition counselling, a specialty in the area of nutrition and dietetics and she wants to combine nutrition with counseling skills to explore both what you eat as well as why. Without further ado, let's ear up from Pixie. Hello. Hello, everyone. And hello, Pixie. Welcome. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? I am great. I love the micro jazz hands that came up <laughs> sparingly. That's a great way to start a podcast with jazz hands. How? Yep. Cause everyone can see it through their audio.
2: <laughs> yep. That's going to be fine. <laughs>
0: Well, think about it. They can hear it. They can hear in the tone of your voice the joy of the jazz ends. It's kind of like like a bit of an interlude whenever we need it. Um, But that's the problem of being highly visual or, like myself, highly Italian. I move my hands far too much and then sometimes it gets lost in translation. But I'll try to be good. I'll try to be good. Um, I'm very excited to have you today for a few reasons. And obviously there are a few things that I would like to talk about. But first and foremost, I would like to talk about the most recent thing um, that I've even been involved in myself, which is obviously your book and the latest book, because we we wrote a few. Uh, And I wanted to hear, like, how was the the reception of this book? And obviously, what was the book about itself? But I think we'll start with that as well, because I know that when it's fresh in your head and hands, um, it's quite cool to see what people come up with. And if any of that reception either surprised you or... um, or, you know, actually, you know, somehow you may made you think about something. So I'll let you get the stage and talk us a bit through the book itself.
2: Sure. So the book is called The Insta Food Diet, How Social Media Has Shaped the Way We Eat. And it is very much what it, what it says on the tin. It's a an exploration of how social media has affected our food choices, how it's affected who we take advice from, including how we eat. So whether that's perhaps mindful eating, tracking or performative eating. So, for example, the cases where bloggers go and take pictures of food and don't eat it. And pay and walk away, which is slightly, slightly terrifying in, in my opinion. There's also the idea of food extremism and how social media can enable uh, enable us to be directed towards more and more extreme food content, including extreme diets. How social media um, how social media actually can impact food shaming and can exacerbate food shaming, especially. Through a number of different ways. I also look at how social media has affected our health in various ways. So whether that's uh, things like body image, obviously, disordered eating, for example, but also our physical health, to an extent. And then I take it more broadly into things like the food industry and also the restaurant industry, which is where you came in. And we had a bit of a discussion about influences in this whole industry and how, how that is impacting restaurants and food brands. And then also looking at it on a policy level. So sometimes what happens on Twitter ends up changing what laws are passed, which is kind of scary sometimes because sometimes people have a lot of influence that they shouldn't and other times it is really amazing and exciting and there is so much activism that happens on social media that I think deserves to be celebrated because often when we talk about social media and our health it's painted in a very negative light and while I will happily admit that there are very many negative aspects of social media there are also beautiful positive aspects that I think deserve a little bit more airtime than they've been given in the past so I make sure to Uh, try and get that balance right
0: and with that actually I wanted to ask you there's loads of questions I'm just in my head but there's one question I wanted to ask you related to what you just said and like you know whether it's social media or just kind of like some elements of well-being and health and wellness being portrayed in different ways because I know that also you co-host a podcast um, and I know that you love documentaries and that's what you love to talk about and just analyzing all some of the trends and the fads But then at the time of this recording, also a brand new docuseries came out like two or three weeks ago called Unwell. So I was kind Mm -hmm. of wondering, in your opinion, obviously thinking about this series, which is more about analyzing some of the modern wellness trends and seeing like their effectiveness and what you do, what you did within the book, but also what you do with the podcast as well. How do you see... I do see the interest in this area sparking up also for the general public. That is to say that I've known yourself, <laughs> and I've known Pixie, dear listener, for quite a while, for quite a few years now. And I know that there's always been something that you would love to explore and understand and analyse and do research around when it came to the whole connection with social media and wellness and health and those, those elements as well. But I'm seeing a lot more interest in the general public when it comes from anything from the uh, documentary much more. So I'm kind of wondering, do you think it's just an evolution that just happened? Is it because everybody's a lot more aware? Is it because everybody's been given a voice? Where do you see this connection with this rising interest that is not just for the food bloggers or for the people within the industry, but it's much wider these days?
2: I think there are a number of reasons. I think firstly, it's because of social media. A lot of us have more access to information and to experts than we would have otherwise. We even have direct access via Twitter to politicians, for example, which is something we wouldn't have had before. And we have access to nutrition and health experts through, yes, Twitter and Instagram and places like that, which means that we have more information we no longer have an information deficit when it comes to subjects like nutrition we have information overload so people are confused and have access to too much information that is conflicting and confusing so i think that contributes to that and the fact that we spend so much time on social media as a population we've also become richer generally we have more disposable income on average than we used to And because of that, we are no longer just concerned with the basics of staying alive. We want to self-actualize. We want to, quote, find ourselves. And white people like to do that in a number of stupid ways. And, you know, some of which is actually covered in the documentary Unwell. And I know this because I had to watch it for the podcast. Um, That was fun. A lot of it's still absolute Crash, but hey, there are some good elements in it. So I think there's some aspect of that that we want to, f- people want to find ourselves because we are able to do that now that we are no longer simply trying to stay alive. I think that is a component of that as well. In addition, we also have a lot of government messaging that tells us to focus on health and tells us that health is our individual moral responsibility, which is not entirely true like it is some of our responsibility but it is also way outside of our responsibility in other aspects so we have a lot of these messages that the, the we have a lot of these messages that tell us that we have to focus on health because it is our moral responsibility to do so in order to be good citizens so i think all of those things contribute in some way
0: and on the back of the question that i just asked, asked and what you said which I, I i love those element of layers and it really piqued my interest obviously the fact that by I guess watching documentaries yourself especially for the podcast you also had the chance to actually get a bit of a different perspective and as you say so obviously still is quite bullshit by the way totally allowed to swear on the podcast in case if you feel prompted to mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> because I know it's important because I do the same if I'm really feeling strong about something then it will come out Um, So I was wondering, just going back to this last point about the the actual documentary and some of the things that you've seen for the podcast. Can you tell us a bit more again about the podcast itself, just in case people don't know exactly what it covers? And also, what is one specific trend or slash documentary even? Because I know there's some documentary in just about one specific topic that really, really stuck with you. Is there one that you will actually analysed together that really stuck with you and why? But first, maybe a tiny bit about the podcast itself, so that if people don't listen to it yet,
2: they know where to find it and what it's about. The podcast is called In Bad Taste. And the whole point of it is that myself, a nutritionist, and Dr. Nikki Stamp, who's a cardiothoracic surgeon, we team up together to watch these health documentaries Ideally so that other people don't have to, because we do want to discuss the claims. We want to do that in a way that is both funny and informative. And our whole aim is that people will listen ideally to the podcast instead of watching the documentary, because we don't want to give these documentaries too much airtime. And so we watch them instead and talk about them so that people can hopefully... Feel, not feel like they have to in order to understand what's going on and also not be exposed to that level of misinformation because we talk through a number of the different themes and claims that people make in these documentaries and then analyze them, discuss them, look at the broader context as well. I'm so sorry, I'm gonna to have to shut my window because there's someone blowing leaves outside. Give me one sec. <laughs> yeah, back. So we've watched a couple of documentaries over the past few months. We only started the podcast this year. We've watched things like Fed Up, which is all about sugar. We've watched Vaxxed, which is an anti-vax propaganda piece. We saw The Game Changers, which was really quite hilarious to watch because they're really obsessed with... Penises in that one, and it was very strange. And then we also watched the gus Miracle, which is a which also tells people to put coffee up their ass. So there is some very weird Freudian stuff going on with with a lot of this. Like I think Freud would have a lot to say about the weird claims and the weird suggestions that people make in these documentaries. There is a lot of obsession with the kind of genital butt area, which I was not expecting. That was that really surprised me. Is just how much focus there is on that. I was not expecting that in various like health and nutrition documentaries. So that really surprised me. There are definitely some themes that pop up throughout the entire process of watching these documentaries. There tends to be a lack of conflicts of interest declared. And I think that is really important to say because they they will often spend a lot of time shitting on various like pharmaceutical companies and various Uh, groups that are funding research and therefore, oh no, that's so terrible. Like we should not like that. That's so terrible. We should ignore them completely. And then they cite research that is by like the organic lobby, or for example, that has been sponsored by an avocado or a nut company. And that's totally fine. And they don't include the fact that all of the people they interview have huge vested interest in the information that they are sharing from a very ideological perspective. So for example, in game changers, All of the people they interview, all of the doctors they interview are vegan doctors. They're not just doctors who happen to be vegan. They are vegan doctors. Their entire careers, their entire livelihood depends on them sharing vegan messages. Now, I think it's fair to say that that therefore means that they are not as objective as they should be. And they are biased sources of information because they are literally unable to change their minds without losing their entire platform and career. So they're not going to be objective and unbiased about it. And similarly in other directions, you know, you see in things like the the Gerson Miracle or in some of this some of the episodes of Unwell where they go to various clinics where everyone in the clinic has their own healing story and that's why they work there so, so biased. And it's so hypocritical in the way they discuss conflicts of interest because they never declare any of their own conflicts of interest. So we've made it a point on the podcast to highlight all of the ways in which the people who are involved in these documentaries are biased to, you know, throw it back in their face and give them a taste of their own medicine.
0: I do appreciate that because again, it's almost the unwritten kind of narrative or the unspoken, I guess, in this case, narrative that goes beyond when you see that as well. And I was kind of thinking about this when you mentioned, when you were mentioning these examples. It's just the element of there is, and I watched these documentaries myself, obviously, coming from the industry that we're coming in, and starting as we were um, joking or recounting at the beginning of this podcast before we, we play, um, you know, we've been, we well, we're, were young, what do you say, naive, then you use other words? What do I say? Naive, innocent and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a good time to be, to be honest, I think that it happens, it will happen. And if you do appreciate that you're not always right and you start questioning things and looking at things in a more objective or almost critical perspective, uh, which probably it could be something that I guess could have also come up within the book and thinking about social media and a couple of elements that you mentioned, which I'll get back to, it just makes you appreciate that There is, there can be a hidden agenda that until it's actually made quite obvious without necessarily having any malice even. It's just objectively, as you say, there is a pattern that you can find, for example, in some of these documentaries, the people that that they interview. Then you will level the playing field almost because then people can make their own decision, but at least they can see clearly what is going on, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, we want to bring it to people's attention a bit more because it's so one-sided in these documentaries. And actually this, this links back to something that I wrote about in the book around food extremism. And that is the fact that on social media, our lives have become so public that it has made it so much harder for us to change our minds. Because if we've made a statement publicly and we change our minds, we are seen as flaky. We're seen as unreliable, even though People changing their minds in the face of evidence is a really, really good thing that we should absolutely be encouraging. It is such a good thing for people to do because it means they're not dogmatic. It means they're actually willing to grow and improve. And yet, because our lives are so much in the public domain now, it makes that so much harder and it makes it so much easier to receive a lot of criticism for saying something and then two years later, changing your mind about something. We're not really allowed to do that in the same way anymore. And that's a problem. I was going to actually,
0: you know, I had a couple of examples as well. And it's that kind of thing of um, thinking about, for example, people that transition from quite a big change, for example, let's say from plant-based to non-plant-based or from, you know, the other way around. There are some changes that you will do because obviously you're human. And as as we said, it's just the progression of life. And usually when you do them for yourself, you know, it's, it's easier because there will still be that's that's at least how I see it and I'll correct me if I'm wrong but you know even the people in your life will still either judge you or have an opinion about the changes that you make but that can be 20 percent. that can be you know 10 people in your in your family cycle when you actually have a platform where you share your ideologies in a stronger way because you're excited about them or because you think they can actually have an impact on others you're not talking to the 20 people you're talking to the 1000 people who obviously this comes from my experience and potentially you have actually data to back this up or not but we tend to be quite passive on social at most times especially when we're interacting but I find that somehow the audience becomes much more interactive when there's something that obviously triggers us on an emotional level and so even these people that might be really passive usually when it comes to engaging with your content at some point turn into very active and everybody wants to have their own saying and then as you say well how do you understand where does the line actually lie, you know, within, okay, this is my choice, but also I put it out there. Therefore they're going to have their opinion on it. Is it making any sense? I'm just kind of seeing how this becomes a bigger issue and a bigger conversation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially because on social media, we don't necessarily share all of our lives. So people have a very limited uh, view of, of other people and people have very limited access but people extrapolate beyond that to make assumptions about what we're like in the rest of our lives when we're not on social media people do extrapolate to fill that and they want that to be consistent because it's it's easier for them i think also because we because we share ourselves online, especially when people know who we are and what we look like, people feel a sense of ownership over your identity when they follow you. And there's some really interesting research to back this up, the idea that people feel that because they follow, because they've invested in you, that therefore you owe them something. Now, you know, arguably you could say, well, actually nobody owes anyone anything in in that respect, but our brains don't see it that way. Our brains see it as I've invested in this person. Now they owe me something. And if they, if they are different to what I expect, then that is a betrayal and a poor return on my investment. And people get angry and defensive about it because it is something that was unexpected. And because it was something that they didn't feel they signed up for. And because they feel they have this ownership over your identity because they follow you, they're even more invested than if it was just some random person who they see on their TV screen every now and then, but who they don't actually care about that they don't don't really have a choice over, but who you follow on Instagram, for example, you've made, someone's made that choice to follow you. So that's why people get very defensive about these things as well. And why they're more likely to get very angry. So for example, last year in 2019, there were a whole bunch of scenarios where vegan YouTubers suddenly weren't vegan anymore. The amount of abuse they received was Astounding. Now, some of it to an extent, some of the criticism was justified because they were still profiting off of an industry that they weren't actually part of anymore and profiting off of a movement that they weren't actually part of. So, some of that criticism was justified, but the abuse, no, no, that is not justified. And that was really quite intense. And some of these people had to take months away from social media just to look after themselves. And I think that's just such a good example of how dogmatic and intense these conversations can be. And that's why I love the fact
0: that again, Picks me didn't pay me for this, but I know you and I know the kind of research and the way they can actually put this um this information across to make it actually simple and quite easy to understand in the way that it has an impact, but also it can be relatable. Not to say that it wouldn't be. But this small shift that we can make into our own mindset and actually realize what you just said, which I'm going to repeat one more time because something that I said from a marketing perspective every single day, people, there is an exchange of value whenever something happens online, especially on social, and especially when people commit to you for whichever reason, which can be a follow, and they start engaging with you and they commit their time. There has, There is an exchange of value and we need to realize that that exchange of value will need to some sort of connection and obviously you took it to the element of explaining what the betrayal or perceived betrayal can look like and I think once we put that into perspective okay it can feel a bit daunting especially if you are really active online and you're, and you're worried about it but also with, with the tools like your book it also helps people understanding the reason why that happens and correct me if I'm wrong, most of these examples, you mean an example of, you know, like performative eating and things like this, I feel like it's unlikely that it just happens, you know, out of the blue. There is, whether it's examples or people seeing it somewhere else or people being slowly kind of like educated almost to, you know, instill some behaviors and then turn these into practices to do themselves. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like, you know, wake up one day and we completely decide to do something, but I think these these trends and these patterns will come from somewhere. And it kind of like means that once we understand them,
2: we're more able to understand and make choices for ourselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think part of the reason why I wanted to talk about these, these topics in the book is because I think it really helps us understand how our brains work to an extent. Yeah. So when you understand that when somebody else is getting defensive and aggressive at you because you said something that they aren't happy with that that could be because you're wrong and because what you posted was incorrect and it's worth examining that, but it could also be actually not about you at all. It could very much be about that person and it has in, and it can sometimes literally have nothing to do with you at all. And knowing that is, helps you just have that little bit of understanding as to what's going on and to not take it so personally sometimes, because sometimes it's nothing to do with you whatsoever and it's good to be able to create create that healthy distance between you and the comment that someone is is throwing at you. And I think that can just, for me at least, when people then have been quite aggressive and abusive to me on social media, it means I can handle it so much better as a result. Because I understand why they are doing that. It does not excuse it. But my understanding of it and my recognizing that actually, often it has very little to do with me and everything to do with them That actually just makes it a little bit easier for me to carry on being online and makes it an easier process. And I'm less likely to get upset by that, which also really helps. And I also want people to recognize these things in themselves, because I think it's so interesting to learn more about these unconscious automatic behaviors and thoughts that we all have in our brains. And I think being more aware of them is not really a bad thing because it allows us to be a little bit more self-aware. And God knows we could all use a little bit more of that. I agree, and it's that kind of
0: self-awareness. Like self-awareness brings back to your self-reflection as well, which you just said. And again, as you, and I am a thousand percent with you on this. A lot of the times, it's just that reflection of ourselves or the reflection of our beliefs that we see in others. And if we ask ourselves, a, maybe a few more times, why does this upset me so much? Why is this triggering mm, me? Yeah. Easy question you know, on paper, <laughs> asking, that, asking that to ourselves when we're in, in the midst of a rage fight with our own brain is really hard, but it can tell you so much, maybe because of our past experiences, maybe because of the way that we've been, maybe been felt before by somebody else. And as you say, small little element of self-awareness. However, again, I know you, which I said before, just, just to explain why I, I do understand some of these things and I know the process they have been going through. And I also know that you have had, as you mentioned yourself, your fair share of people being quite critical and sometimes quite harsh on social. And I wanted to ask you, for people that might actually not have, as you say, that kind of understanding that you have, maybe a bit of the experience as well, um, they might struggle with it, you know, like the first times or when even just this comes up and people can be quite aggressive. And I wanted to ask you the times that maybe people are being a bit more hard for you to deal with, or maybe it's a bad day for other reasons, you know, we all have our lives. Is there something that you do aside from what you usually do when it doesn't really, you know, affect you as much on those days, where things are extra hard or on those days where you really didn't want to get that person to have a comment? Is there something that you do that you like to do, or that really helps you just reframing yourself and maybe just kind of put things in perspective?
2: Yeah, a couple of things. Sometimes I turn the comments off on my post for 24 hours and it means that I don't have to deal with anyone in those 24 hours. If people send me DMS, I don't have to look at those. They're not public. So that feels a little bit different. So sometimes I just turn the comments off because people are, there's just an invasion of people from a very specific ideology who just come straight at you and it's intense and too much. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to deal with this. It's my page. I'm going to be a fucking dictator because I can be. So screw all of you. You can't comment anymore. <laughs> so sometimes I do that as a way to protect myself. The I also use the, the block button sometimes. I also use the restrict button on Instagram liberally. And I don't see that as being bad necessarily. I think I understand people's concern that that can feel like you're creating too much of an echo chamber. But I also think that we need to allow people to take that ownership and protect their own mental health because otherwise if people are sacrificing their mental health to post things on Instagram that is not a healthy narrative that we should be spreading to be honest and i think that rest- that restricting people uh, that beautiful restrict button is just so nice And I like it so much more than the block button because people can continue to see my posts. They can shout into the void. They can comment as much as they like and nobody's ever going to see it. And I have to say, sometimes that gives me so much satisfaction to know that they can just keep yelling, keep looking at what I do and nobody's ever gonna know. And it's so nice and satisfying. So I do that. I also have limits on my social media time. So I will just put my phone in another room and go and read or do some work away from my phone do that kind of thing and uh, you know also therapy really helps I'm a big advocate for therapy Uh, I think it is absolutely wonderful and has definitely helped me to be more resilient over the years for sure
0: awesome and I love the like different elements and different things that people can try as well for themselves um, I think yeah. Again, actually just, that's a sorry
2: just so that's a yeah, good point because at the end of the book I have given a whole bunch of tips and active like action points that people can can take or can ignore to help improve their the time they spend on social media to make it a more enjoyable experience and it's not just my tips I've taken tips from a lot of people who I interviewed and spoke to so that it's not just my perspective you're getting you're getting a whole range of different views and ideas of how you can make social media a little bit of a better and happier place for you because I think it's all very well talking about the theory but it's nice to be able to put that into practice
0: agreed and actually on that note and that was the other question that I had in mind as well very briefly was when it comes overall to mental health because I have, I know already without even having to necessarily kind of know exactly where but I know that within the book there is definitely an element of that connection because we know that diet and obviously our men you know any element of mental health and well-being is going to be related to that from orthorexia, which I know even you studied because remember we did um you did the research as well specifically on that Um, and obviously talking about it in your books as well so I know that that's in itself one element of mental health but I think overall the bigger plethora of discussion about social media and those relationships and as you say that kind of echo chamber that sometimes we can create I know the importance of understanding that and I was kind of wanting to go beyond the book itself and maybe beyond just that conversation but saying now that This is almost like a future looking kind of question. But now that we know that most likely our lives will be a bit more online than before, I don't want to say that that's going to happen, but I'm going to say that I put that into a potential. We're going to be spending a bit more time online by trying to find more connections online, maybe out of those tips that you have, or maybe something else. Is there a way that you think we can still protect our um, mental well-being but still try and create those connections? And do you see that as something that could happen, especially counting on the fact that, as I said, the way that we're approaching connections and and friendship and relationship is slightly changing right now because I think the mental health of a lot of people right now has been seriously challenged, especially in 2020.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a number of different things that people can potentially do. Uh, Firstly is take a critical look at who you're following on social media. Recognize that this is a space that you can curate far more than you can your, you know, the real world, I guess, outside of the online world. And as such you have a lot of power and responsibility to to take over who you decide to follow. Who you follow is your responsibility. I think we need to take that responsibility seriously and hit that unfollow button if someone makes us feel like shit or if we're just not really happy with what someone's posting. Just unfollow they're not probably going to notice. Let's be honest, especially if they're a big account, they're never going to know. Just do it, replace them with puppies because you can't feel bad about yourself if you're looking at pictures of puppies. So be critical. I I would recommend doing that on a regular basis. You know, at least, you know, once or twice a year, maybe even every quarter, just going through your social media and just taking stock of who you're following, what you'd like to change. So take that responsibility over this aspect of social media that you absolutely can control. And secondly is be aware of how much time you're spending online. You don't necessarily have to limit it. But I think starting with a basic awareness of just how much time you're spending scrolling can be just a little bit of a wake up call. I know it was for me, for example, when I when I first looked on my phone at the amount of screen time, I just looked at it and went, holy shit. That is not good. I knew that it was not ideal. So I put limits on it. I started with a three hour limit for social media and I've got that down to two hours now. And that is a great spot for me because it means that I'm spending some time online to do my job, to connect with people, but I'm also spending a lot of time away from it, which is important for my mental health. And then, so those things I think are really useful because they are very much within our control. And I think when we do spend time on social media, less time scrolling, more time commenting. Have actual conversations, message people, give them some praise and some love on their posts. Just have a bit more connection than just scrolling or double tapping because we get so much more satisfaction, enjoyment, and we build more meaningful connections on social media when we actually engage with words, not just with a heart, not just with you know, a heart emoji as a comment. That's not good enough. Let's be honest. Come on, that's lazy. Or just, you know, just scrolling, just scrolling, 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 engage actively. Because what we find from research is that we are more likely to have a positive time on social media and get more positive things from it. If we actively engage and have good quality time on social media, not just scrolling mindlessly. So consider how much time you're spending, consider who you're following and consider what the quality is of the time you're spending online. And if you do those things, it should hopefully make a substantial difference to how you feel about it. I know it absolutely did for me and for many people that I've spoken to. And research does support all three of those things for sure.
0: I will second one thing that I do regularly, which is actually check and understand my screen time. Uh, the other thing as well, I do in a different way. So it's kind of good because it almost reminds me of things that I can look at doing next. I think the first thing for me was a screen time, just figuring that one out in the last six months. And it was great to be able to adjust that time. And, but it's almost not the easiest one. But again, your phone now prompts you a bit more to learn about it. What I would say um, from my personal perspective, I have to think about probably the hardest one for a lot of people is, you know, turning that mindlessness of obviously that time of line into something that as you say can actually um, make enriching and fulfilling so i would say find one of these three for example that will be probably the one that i would like to do more of myself so i'm going to take that challenge for myself but if you're listening and you're thinking "Oh, these all sound great try and see which one kind of really hit home for you you are like actually this could be the next big thing because then it kind of trickles and um, a more mindful way to like approaching everything and i think that's kind of what also in the book, obviously you talk about one of the biggest things and one of the most important things, which is eating. And one of the most joyful thing, hopefully there should be, which is eating and our relationship with food. And that obviously, you know, finding that guidance for that and just better and better understanding on why we make the choices that we make or what influences us to make the choices that we make. I think it's something that can help us regaining a bit more power because, you know, probably, you know, it better than me when it comes to research willpower it's you know it's hard sometimes to make choices because we make choices every every second of our life and so being able to understand a bit more the reason why we make some choices can be something that i'm not saying that can free us but maybe that can you know just make us like i don't know a sigh of relief and say okay i know why why i want to do this and i know what i want to change and this is how i could do it for myself nicely said Thank you. <laughs> I had like a, a mini moment of like phew, openness. And with that, I'm going to leave you to our last question, the most important question of them all. And that is, if you were, Pixie Turner, to have brunch with anyone, dead or alive, so anyone mm-hmm. you can think of, who would that human being of humans be?
2: Manuel Miranda.
0: Bam! Lo-
2: you know what? I, <laughs> that was easy. I would lie if I said that I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the world knows my love of Hamilton. And I would just love to have a conversation with Lin. I think he's amazing. And it would be fascinating. And I would probably freak out, fangirl, and mess it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just get, like, fully bright red. And just be like, oh, my God. And they're like, yeah, come, come.
2: And now I would keep my cool. I would keep my cool. I mean, I, I'd be fine. I'd be fine. It would just take me a few minutes to adjust.
0: love that again not surprising but it is a really good answer that that's kind of a good one pixie if people want to find more about you the book and everything else that you're up to what would be the best places for them to go to
2: i'm on the social media makes sense seeing as i wrote about it that i'd be on it i've been on it for many years you can find me at pixie nutrition on most of the things if you can't find me it's because i'm not on there or because i don't understand it like tiktok i don't understand it yet (laughs) but i am on instagram and twitter and facebook i think and you can find the book in all sorts of places you can find it in bookshops you can find it on hive i recommend using hive because it links you to local independent bookshops always a good thing internationally you can also get it in australia new zealand and you can get it in the in Canada in the US on the 1st of October I think that's everything basically you can get it everywhere just go and find it google it you'll find it it's not that hard
0: google it and find it I love it proactivist at the end that's great thank you so much as for usual to sharing your wisdom thank you for taking the time it's always a pleasure to um, talk to you as I said it just makes you feel like you actually get a bit of a nugget of clarity and some practical steps, which is one of the things that I love the most. So thank you so much for making the time again. and It was a pleasure to talk to you.
2: Always a joy, Fab. Thank
0: you so much for listening. Don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode. If you loved it, please take some time to give us five stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your ha-has and takeaways on Instagram at Co. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group.